Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger joined by football analyst William Gardner. William, it's been a few weeks since we last caught up. We did the preview show, and I know you've got a demanding day job, so we haven't caught up since then. Uh, a few things have happened since our last show. Uh, an 0-1-5 start, Colorado the last FBS program without a win, and of course, Carl Jarrell fired. We're recording this on Saturday. This happened six days ago. First off, how are you doing? Not too bad. Just busy times and um, trying to keep up. You know, life keeps rolling, regardless yeah. of what happens with, with CU football. Like I said, you've got a demanding day job. And, and you were mentioning before we hit record, you know, you weren't getting any more enjoyment out of what should right. be giving you enjoyment, watching right. college football on Saturday, watching the buffs. It's been as brutal a start to the season as, as anybody could imagine. I think even the people that were super pessimistic didn't even see it being quite this bad. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like my week, Saturday's the day of rest, I guess. And, you know, sometimes Sundays I got to go into work, but uh, so Saturday's the day you look forward to. And if this is what you get, it's kind of a, it's, it's like a double punishment or something. I, I don't know. You, you can't even relax and, and enjoy it, but yeah, I think I, 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 I don't do, I don't know about the history of stuff, but I think uh, you have to wonder if this isn't the worst, first five game start got to be among the worst in the history of college football you know the first five games to be not even close in any of them and um you know 20 plus blowouts in every single game that that's is really i mean you i'm not i can't envision anything worse really i guess 50 to nothing i suppose five times would be worse but um it, this is as bad as it's been and there's no you know you know usually you see Maybe you see something on the defense or maybe you see something on the offense and there's just really nothing at all. I guess the walk-on punter, I suppose, is the high point. <laughs> yeah, the comparison would be back to 2012, but even that year, they won at Washington State pretty early in the season. Now, that game, if you go back and watch it, was really Mike Leach losing that football game right, for Washington right. State. They got a big lead and he refused to run the ball and Colorado came storming back. Um, so there was one Saturday in that season where you felt pretty good to be a CU fan. I'm still not convinced that 2012 team would beat this team. I think that would be a pretty close game. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it, it's always the, the more recent team seems more real. But uh, thinking back on that team, um, I, I just I was going to say they don't feel as inept as this team. But, man, they were pretty bad that that. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of that, I guess it was Fresno State and guys were running the wrong direction on defense and it just just was kind of nuts. Um, yeah. And then the dysfunction, I mean, you know, the dysfunction amongst the coaching staff on that team, which I guess, I, you know, I guess that's one thing that goes to show you is like that that coaching staff hated each other. This coaching staff apparently all liked each other. doesn't really matter if you don't know what the heck you're doing, I yeah. guess. But uh, that, I, I think there's more talent on this team. Nobody will ever convince me otherwise. Um, especially on the lines. Um, so uh, I don't know, man, that, 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 that's a mental exercise that maybe is not worth playing. <laughs> <laughs> you called it pretty early on in the Carl Jarrell era when you said football is just not fun with this guy as a head coach in Boulder. And if you want to sum up the last three years, that, that's the best way to do it, that he sucked the fun out of being a CU fan. And I think Carl Durrell is a good human being. I didn't get to know him all that well. It wasn't helped early in his tenure. COVID was happening, so we were doing everything over Zoom. But when we finally got in person, he was respectful. I know he and Brian had 
their little back and forth, which uh, looking back now, you can kind of chuckle because it really wasn't that bad. But for some yeah. reason, Brian could get under Carl's skin a little bit, but he, yeah. he wasn't a bad guy. But it was just a lack of energy and a lack of charisma that when we went in to just a 20 minute uh, snippet of practice on Tuesday, it was like kids throwing a party with their parents out of town. It was like there was just a relief among people that they can just be free and have fun. And Carl took that away from CU football for three years. And I, and I don't think that was his intention. That's just his personality that I blame more Rick George for hiring him because that's something that you vet before you hire a guy. And I understand it was a really tough transition period with Mel Tucker leaving and you're having to make a, a coaching hire when there's not a lot of candidates out there and you're trying having to make it quickly because you got spring ball around the corner. But Carl Durrell is who he is. And that was, you know, his personality when he was at UCLA. That's always been his personality. So you can't really blame him for being him, right? No, I mean, and, you know, and it's not something that, that you said uh, they didn't really vet that, but it's like, it's not a mystery. You know, I mean, it's not like you had to go and talk, to, well, let's let's track down his high school teachers and figure out what kind of personality this guy has. He's been the same guy for all this time. Um, you know, and I suppose as a position coach, um, that that can work. I don't really understand how that could work. You have to provide leadership. You have to provide inspiration. You know, this, this is a hard game. Um, and the higher you go in it, the harder it gets. And I mean, for coaches as well as for players, because it's a grind and it's long hours and, you know, you, you know, it's kind of, it's in a way, it's kind of a dumb game because, you know, you, you spend 12 months of the year working your ass off for 12 freaking games, 16, maybe, you know, if you go high enough or you go into whatever, but it, it's almost, it's almost, I've always struck me as sort of silly how hard you work for so little. Um, and so part of what has to make that work as you go along is that the people that you plan for, um, or working for, if you're the assistant coaches, um, make it worthwhile. And uh, I think it was very clear that he didn't make it worthwhile for people. Um, <clears throat> I I mentioned to you before we got started, I don't know how he rose to this level in this profession with that personality, because it's a, it's a, it's a game of passion. And, you know, even the bad coaches I've ever known, you know, had intensity and had personality and, you know, got something out of somebody, but uh you know, the other side of it, I guess, is that you, like you say, he's a nice guy. You know, he's not mm-hmm. hawk. Don't look at him and go, geez, what a jerk, man. That guy's a know-it-all, blowhard, whatever, fill in the blank, you know, or, or, or Mel Tucker, who's quite honestly a dishonest guy. Can't trust him, you know. Um, you'd like to see more guys like Darrell do better. But that's the way the world works, and it's too bad, I suppose. But, yeah, it, it just was uh, – <sighs> It, it was infuriating, frankly, to watch the games and to watch him and see him do nothing because I've coached for a lot of coaches and played for a lot of coaches and nobody does nothing. I mean, do something, you know, yeah. get mad, break a smile, talk to your other coaches, plan something, figure out. It, it, I, it, I swear to God, it looked to me as if he had no purpose on game day whatsoever. Um, and I don't know how they had things set up and who was making the decisions, but We've all, I think, probably worked in places where um, the person at the top put a damper on uh, creativity. And well, like during the week, um, 
the conversation with, I think with Terrence Lang and he said, uh, or one of the, one of the defensive players said, now we're going to play not afraid to make mistakes. There is no business on the planet that is better off if everybody's afraid of making a mistake because you're always better off if people use your brains, you know, let people do what they do and be who they are. When they're that afraid to make a mistake, they can't, they can't be as good as they could possibly be. And especially in this game, especially on defense, you know, you have to have a certain amount of freedom to just play the darn game as fast as you can go and not in the back of your mind be going, I'm going to get in trouble. Now, I don't know if they got yelled. I don't know what that, there's a story behind that that I don't have the answer to. Does that mean they got yelled at a lot? Did they have to run sprints? You know, what was the, or did it, was it just a disapproval of the head coach? Maybe, you know, I don't know exactly what's behind that comment, but I think it spoke volumes. And then, you know, you're talking about the joy that was at practice when he was gone. It, it, it just, I think that can be, a, that can be a huge game changer. The example that stands out to me is the last game that Carl Durrell was the head coach at CU. They call a timeout. Arizona's down by the goal line. And Colorado comes out of that timeout with 10 guys on the field. So they have to burn another timeout. At that point, is there any other coach in the country that's just not completely losing it at that point to try to, you know, fire up the team and, you know, try to get that thing back on track? Well, you know, I mean, it, it reminds me of um, that game in 2016. I think it was 2016, and and Tumpkin did something, and and McIntyre went ballistic and shoved him back four yards back into the sidelines. Now, you know, okay, that's not listen to my job. I get fired, but you know, as a football coach, that's to a certain extent is kind of expected. I, you know, I've seen that happen where it's not outside the bounds of reality, um, but at least the guy cares. Man, at least the guys cares that that, that something went wrong. You know, and I, I think it's always been one of the height of coaching malpractice to call a timeout and then come out and not have everybody on the field. I mean, what the hell are you just doing? Um, and, you know, so the way it usually works is there's there's somebody on the staff who's responsible for making sure 11 guys are out there, whether it's the offensive coordinator or the offensive line coach or the defensive coordinator or the special teams guy, whatever. Somebody is responsible for having and, – and how hard can it be, man? That's what you do. Put 11 – you know, and, and you know what I – when so when I coached offensive line, I used to be the guy for the offense, and then you'd just get them all together and go, okay, there's 11. We're good. And, you know, every now and then you'd hear, holy shit, where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? Get out there. Get out there. And they'd go rushing on the last minute. Yeah. But, you know, somebody was paying attention, right? I don't know what was going on on this staff because nobody was paying attention to any kind of details at all that I could tell. Yeah. It's unfortunate it played out this way, but uh, there is going to be a new era in CU football. I guess we're kind of in this transition period, state of limbo, I guess, with Mike Sanford taking over as the interim head coach. Mentioned the practices, having a little bit more energy with him at the helm. His press conferences, he's saying all the right things and with the charisma that, that you'd want in the face of your program. You have to root for Mike Sanford if you have a pulse and you're a CU fan because this is a really good guy, can connect with people. He doesn't have the track record to make you think that this is going to go all that well, though. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, his pre- previous stint as a head coach wasn't that great. And he has, you know, I don't know, he's, he's not been uh, anybody's uh, Nick Saban yet. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've seen lots of 
and I am not predicting this. So don't anybody say I'm predicting anything. <laughs> I've seen lots of times in, in, in life where guys that were failures before, you know, hit the right spot and there they are, you know, um, um, I've seen a lot of times in football is, is, will that happen here? I don't know. I mean, I don't know where to see you bust, man. I would bet on it, but, uh, uh, at least at the very least, you know, I look back to, um, when Cabral took over as interim and that was after, uh, Hawkins, wasn't it? Yep. At the end of Hawkins. Three and, games. And, yep. Right. And there was an immediate burst and they just were a better team. Right. And, and it can really make a difference for players because this is a this is a game of passion and you have to play with passion. Now, no amount of raw, raw passion is going to overcome the fact, you know, if, if the coaches don't know what the hell they're doing and the players don't know what they're doing. But um, it can make a huge difference and it, it could be a two or three game swing, you know, in terms of the final outcome. It, 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 it's too bad, I guess, maybe that the hard teams weren't early and we didn't have some, you know, doormats coming, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, Cal's a beatable team. Yeah. And yeah. so we're going to get, and that's a good thing. You know, if Oregon was coming in here or you're traveling out to USC following this bye week, it'd be hard to get a good gauge on exactly right. what Sanford is the interim and Clay Patterson is the OC and Gerald Chapman. will get into that right. as the DC uh, we're going to make, but we actually will, I think going up against Cal in Boulder family weekend, it's going to be, a sellout or close yeah. to a sellout. So I, I think this will be a good litmus test as to yeah. and what your expectations could even be going forward. And for some reason that reminded me of another thing that I heard this week from, from Sanford um, when he talked about the defense and he's talking about changing up the run fits. And I'm like, that's coming from the former offensive coordinator. Why wasn't that coming from anybody on the defensive staff? I mean, now obviously the offensive coordinator is going to see what the defense is doing against him and stuff. But, you know, something as simple as that could make all the difference on defense. And, you know, hopefully that makes a difference and we'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, you know, um, Chapman is the the, the problem for Chapman. I don't think is going to be the front seven. It's going to be that the reason it's called coordinating is putting together the back five with the front seven. Um, I know the math didn't work out there, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, And, you know, as a, as a career line coach, defensive line coach, offensive line coach, I never wanted to be a coordinator because I never wanted to figure that out, to be honest with you, Um, because that just wasn't my thing. So that's going to be where we're going to have to watch. He's going to have to need help from Maxie and um, the other, the other defensive back coaches on that. But uh, uh, just in terms of firing those guys up and letting them play could make a big difference. Yeah. Let's chat a little bit about Gerald Chapman taking over as the interim defensive coordinator They've got other guys on that defensive staff. A Brett Maxey that's been around a long time already had the passing game coordinator title. Rod Chance was a defensive coordinator at the FCS level. And so was Mark Smith. I don't know if he actually coordinated in the game because of yeah. COVID. They didn't end up playing a season, but at least got a job and was preparing in that role. So I was surprised when Chapman was named the interim defensive coordinator. I think what that says is they just felt above all else they needed to inspire these defensive players because Chapman is a motivating personality, a guy that guys will want to play hard for. So they put more of a premium on that. It seems like than some of the schematic things defensively with this choice. Well, and I kind of have to wonder too, if the other older guys didn't want it. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe you don't, maybe with the bad, bad as this defense is, you don't want your name on that position. I, I don't, I'm just totally speculating on that everybody's got an eye on where they're going next because none of them think they're staying. Right. Probably. 
Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I think coaches by nature are pretty hopeful that, but, but it is, yeah, in that profession, it's a different mindset that you have because you have to move around so much and it, and so much of it, it's kind of out of your control. You know, you could right. have your unit playing really good football, but uh, if other units aren't performing well and there's a coaching shakeup and then the new coach brings in, wants to bring in his own guys, it doesn't right. matter if he did a good job. So I think there's a flexibility that those guys have. But I also do think that there is hope in – you have to have this because your players are going to feed off it, that right. hope here the last seven games. I, I do think the staff still has that. And I think I think Chapman also, the, you know, he has the older – oldest biggest guys on the defense you know in terms of most experience playing the game and so maybe it has to do with firing those guys up and if you get those you know it's like um i can't remember who uh put some um some photos up on the board uh, a couple in the last couple of weeks showing the the pre-snap alignments of our defense <laughs> i'm thinking what the hell are we seeing here who who's in charge of this for god's sake so just getting those guys in the right spots could make all the difference what are your expectations of the final seven games of the season? I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm tempted to say I don't have any, but, you know, I'm an optimist by nature. I'd like to see something happen here in, uh, against Cal. Like you said, they're not any kind of world beaters. But, you know, it, it's a tough road. And, and Arizona State, given their situation, ought to be somebody we, ought, we can compete against. Um, but there's some tough games coming up. Washington is not Washington of three or four years ago. It feels nuts after the first five games to say I'd like to see a couple wins, maybe three. Probably, probably three is pretty optimistic. Um, but as far as expectations, I'd like to see more competitive games, frankly. I mean, let's stay in the darn games until the last snap, you know, not be blown out um, by the end of the third quarter. And I think that's a realistic expectation and maybe 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 pull out a win or two. Yeah. Um, would be good. And I'd like to see us develop and get better. I, you know, I, I know that debate goes back and forth on the board about the talent level. This team has enough talent to win six games. It does. I'll never change my view on that. They're just not being put in the right positions or taught how to play the game or given the, the situations um, to be able to do that. And I know that sounds ridiculous given that we're getting blown out 45 to 10 every week, but you know, the difference between a blowout and a close game is very really thin. The difference between you know a, a win and a loss is thin, and that's what he called a game of inches. And the difference between a six and six team and, a, and a, a even a one or two win team is not as wide as people think. Now the big differences start to become when you get above the six and seven win level. Now you got to have those players, right? But you can win a lot of games, and by a lot of games I mean six, uh, with the kind of players we have on this team if they're properly coached. At the high end of your expectations, I heard three wins. If they go three and four with four ranked opponents and they are competitive in those games, is Mike Sanford a candidate for the permanent gig in your eyes? I, I, I don't. Let me clarify a little bit. I don't think we're going to get three wins. I, I guess I was looking at maybe. That's probably uh, best case scenario in your mind? Yeah, hopeful, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's realistic to expect maybe two wins out of there somewhere. I, I don't think with three wins, I, I, I think if he finds a way to get four or five, you start talking about it. If he wins five games, uh, yeah. Well, then if he goes coach, five and two, yeah. then uh, there's no question in my opinion. Right, right, right. Then you got to keep him and, and and keep rolling. But that's and, not happening, as we know. Right. You know, I mean that that would be one of the great all time turnarounds in college football. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't again don't know the 
history on that. Maybe our word can figure that one out, but uh, don't know if a team's ever done that before. But yeah, that would be certainly, I think, where you'd have to lobby hard to keep the guy around and see what he can do for a full season. The bottom line is make this a palatable football team to watch. And right. Obviously, CU is a national embarrassment right now. Just kind of start to change that narrative a little bit, I think, is what my expectation and hope for this this final seven games would be, more so than even wins and losses. Now, obviously, uh, beating a ranked team in there would would be a a huge thing for this program and for um, these players that, like you said at the top, put in all this work. And then to just go out there and get blown out, as right. miserable as it is for the fans, you know, it's just as miserable, if not more, for these players that have put in all this work. Well, you know, as a coach, I used to, you know, I, I, I can remember a couple of times in my career when when I was coaching pretty good teams and we'd beat those teams, you know. And, you know, I remember one kid uh, for, a, for a Denver team when I was coaching down at Highlands Ranch and, you know, kid was sitting over on the sidelines just obviously dejected. I went over and talked to him a little bit. He's not my player, but still he's a kid and, and made me feel bad for the guy. You know, he's putting in all this work and has all of his hopes and his coach is stuck and, you know, he has no control over that. So, yeah, it's tough for the, for those players. And I don't think most people, if you haven't if you haven't played at the CU level, don't know how hard it is. And, I mean, it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of grind and it's being up before the sun all year long. And, and it's just really – it's as mentally taxing as it is physically. And so I'd like to see those kids have some success, especially some of those guys have been around a while, you know, who stuck it out. But uh, – um, yeah, I don't know. How attractive or maybe a better way to put this would be how unattractive is CU's head coaching vacancy right now? There's uh, some other openings that have already popped up with Wisconsin, Nebraska, Georgia Tech, Arizona State. Obviously, CU's on the, the bottom end of that tier in terms of prestige right now. There's st- doesn't see you still have enough going for it, despite some of the challenges, especially with the, you know the list of candidates that everybody's putting out. There's a lot of good coaches right now that would be available for a jump up from group of five or that are not currently coaching right now. Right. It feels like despite the challenges, this is still an attractive enough job to be able to get a guy in that's qualified to not necessarily have Colorado competing for national championships anytime soon, but Right now, the, the expectation has to just be getting back to bowl games. Yeah, and I think that the, I think we're I think we're still a highly attractive uh, spot for a head football coach, and I and I don't think that uh, I think coaches look at it differently than people on the board do necessarily because um, you know coaches look at it and they're like you know co- coaches are an arrogant breed and they are going to look at it differently. And and I think that to me. The issue is not so much that there's an inherent problem with CU football. We haven't hired good people. I don't know. What do you want, man? You keep hiring bad people, you get bad results, right? Um, and, you know, bad in different kinds of ways. You know, uh, McIntyre showed that you could get this back to a 10-win team, and then then it all kind of fell apart, and he squandered it. Um, you know, Tucker had some things going on, and he left, and and – you know, aside from Tucker, nobody's gone on from this spot to be a great coach. So it's not like anybody was held back here, right? Their limitations, they brought with them. And I think most coaches see that and look at it that way. And they realize Boulder's a beautiful place and it's a good university. And, you know, now they're, they're probably, if, if I was doing my homework and had a good agent, I'd be 
asking some questions. What are you going to do about A, B, and C? How are you going to support me to be successful in this role? Um, but there's nothing inherently about CU. We know we're not New Mexico State, man. And, you know, and uh, I think a lot of coaches, even places like Colorado, Kansas, what have you, everybody knows the right coach can go in and win at those places. And, you know, most coaches have a big ego and think they could be that guy, especially, you know, now if, if a guy's got options from, um, I don't know, the SEC or a bunch of Big Ten teams or whatever, he's probably not going to pick us over them unless we lay a bunch of money down on the table. But I don't think there's anything about this job that people look at and go, man, don't touch that. I think there are some people that are saying that, but. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, by all, by all accounts, Nick Saban said that to. Um, Steve Sarkeesian, yeah. Sarkeesian, right. You know, and I don't know, God bless him, but I don't think that that's what you're going to get from everybody. Yeah, you've got enough coaches out there, like you said, that are egotistical and or. Yeah, they, they, they'll, they'll look past some of the negatives to see the positives and, and they haven't had that opportunity yet to coach at the power five level. And there's a long list of attractive candidates that are doing really well at the group of five or even a, a couple FCS head coaches made my list that I put up on buffstampede.com. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain Colorado is going to get a pretty qualified coach to take this gig. It's going to be interesting to see how much competition there is for these coaches. There are four other power five openings right now, right. but there were so many coaching changes last year. So I, I can't imagine it's going to be quite as much of a shakeup nationally as what we saw last year. So uh, it's going to be interesting to chart that obviously a much better situation that Colorado finds themselves in this time around with two months to really put this search together and, and find the right. right guy. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I guess, you know, do we have confidence in Rick George to get the job done? I don't know. You know, I guess I don't really feel like I do, but we'll see what happens. I think, um, the, the one thing about the one thing I would say about coaching searches is, is it's a crapshoot every single time. And you don't know, you know, I mean, you know, um, I, I it's easy to look back and say it was easy to see. But, you know, did, did we know that Nick Saban was going to be the best college coach maybe in history when they got when he got hired at Alabama? I don't know, you know, by the same token, a lot of guys were supposed to be the next great thing and flamed out pretty quick at all kinds of places, you know, so you never know. Bill McCartney was nobody. He was just a defensive coordinator of Michigan. Who, who could have foreseen that? Nobody. So you don't know. You just don't know. Yeah, the only home run hire at CU in the last 20 years, at least in terms of how it was viewed when he was hired, was Dan Hawkins, right? In terms of how people perceived it. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I'm just trying to make your point about how it is a crapshoot because everybody thought that was uh, the perfect hire for CU. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you just don't know, you know, and like, you know, the, you know, short, short of hiring, being able to hire, you know, if you're Alabama, you can hire the guy from LSU, right. You know, we're not gonna be able to do that. We're not gonna be able to grab the guy from Michigan or one of those places. And so, you know, we're never going to hire a sure thing and you hope for the best. You've got mail. Let's jump into the buff stampede mailbag. Our first question comes from Chili Buff. He asked, what would be the optimal head coach hire and what would that look like? And along those lines, Mile High Crew asked, if you guys were able to choose the next head coach, what are the top three qualities you're looking for and who are your top three candidates you would pick? Let's start there with just the top qualities and what would make the optimal head coaching hire here. Well, and I, you know, and I hate I know I tell people stop doing this on the board, but I'm going to look back at Bill McCartney and, and 
very first thing to me, and I guess it's probably a, a direct reaction to what we just lost, is high energy and passionate, you know, um, because it seems to me all the, all the best coaches I look around and see have that. I keep bringing up Saban. Man, that guy's fiery. Man, he's got fire in the belly, right? And a lot of those guys really do have that fire and that passion, and they're able to really communicate with people and get people to give their best. So I would say and I'm, I'm, I put a slash between them, high energy and passionate is one um, two different ways of saying yeah, and and that's that's so big because that passion and energy is seen by boosters fans media and it makes a big impact there. Obviously, your players it, it fires them up, it makes them want to play for you. In the transfer portal era, it makes them more likely to buy into you and want to stick around and have that that energy around them. And, and then. And those, and those then recruiting as well. Recruiting, you need passion and energy to sell your program. So it's, I, I, I was just going to say, those guys are electric in the living room with the folks. Yeah. It's without question, it's the quality that the next head coach at CU needs to have. Yeah. And, and I guess second for me sort of follows along with that is recruiter. You've got to have somebody who's passionate about recruiting. I, I don't get the impression that, that – Darrell or his staff gives a damn about recruiting now. You know, they obviously have to give some about it, a bit about it, but um, not not in the sense of like a Mel Tucker or, or a uh, like, you know, when you when you work for Mel, Bill McCartney, you recruited, you recruit as hard as he did or you got a new job. You know, it, it wasn't, hey, offensive coordinator doesn't have to uh, recruit. Defensive coordinator doesn't have to recruit. Defensive line coach doesn't have to recruit. You did the darn recruiting or you got a new job. And that's how it needs somebody like that, not only in terms of that, but also the passion for doing it and the ability to reach out and convince people. Do you have a third quality in there? Yeah, I would say knows football and can develop players. So I guess that goes both to the play calling and people say, you know, like the old X's and O's or Jimmy's and Joe's. The X's and O's encompasses much more than that. So that that encompasses to me the ability to teach football and understand it and also to exploit it. Uh, in the middle of game. So if you look at McCartney, for example, um, he demanded also that his assistant coaches uh, produce at their positions and that they develop those kids and make them better. Nobody knows how to play this game coming out of high school, not at this level. Um, And you have to be taught at at every one of these positions, the skills and the abilities to be able to do that. And so uh, you need a head coach who both understands the strategy and the X's and O's, but also, you know, the development of players. I would add in there too is don't get a coach that points fingers and is always looking for excuses. Not necessarily, not that Carl Durrell was making a ton of excuses publicly, but even Mel Tucker did this as well, where behind the scenes there's some challenges and you don't take on the, I'm going to overcome this no matter what, like Tad Boyle has done on the basketball right. side where, you know, he's told, by admissions, you can take this kid, he signs, and then for some something happened there to where they couldn't sign Bobby Clintman. And he's pissed off like any coach should be, but he goes out and finds another good player, Javon Hadley, and he's going to keep that program rolling and you know, they can take another step as a program. But right now with CU football, you just want them to get anywhere close to kind of that sustained success the basketball side has had. And, and Tad's had challenges there. You know, their facilities are okay, but – they're not competing in NIL. They they can't pull in guys from the portal, right. the, you know, the way some other basketball programs is, but he doesn't point fingers. Right. And he still finds a way to succeed because despite the challenges, William, 
there's enough resources at CU Boulder right now right. to win six, seven games. And I know we're just going to come up in a later question, but you know, I NIL and transfer and all that other stuff. That's just a reason. That's just excuses. That's excuses for coaches not doing their job. And we'll talk more about that in depth because I got a lot to say about it. But okay, um, uh, you know, I, I think Tad Boyle is an excellent uh, example of what I'm saying. Is like good coaches. That's what we got, man. So we're gonna make it work. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm gonna go do something else. In terms of the top three candidates, that's so hard because I don't know the level of interest in some of these guys and right. CU's job opening. Does Brock right. Hall want to coach in Boulder? Right. He would be one of my top three. Yeah. Well, I have a top three. I'm not sure that, you know, I don't know the reality of any of them, but yeah, I think that's a big piece of it too. Give me your top three then. Well, the, the, there's a top one. There's only one guy and it's Jeff Grimes, period. Okay. End of story for me. That's the guy. And I don't give a damn whether he's been a head coach before or not. Bill McCartney wasn't a head coach and look what he did. But Jeff Grimes fills all those roles. Man, I have sat in the living room when he's given his recruiting pitch. I wanted to sign. The dude, the dude is good at recruiting and he's fiery and he, and he developed, he develops players like nobody's business. He's been successful at multiple different power five schools, you know, high level ones as well. Um, you know, I remember uh, talking with Tyler Columbus one time and he, he told me the only reason he played in the NFL was Jeff Grimes. You know, that's high praise, you know, from a, from a, from a guy who played at a very high level. Um, so to me, Jeff Grimes is the guy. And I would be over the moon if, if we got him. You know, my next two guys, I think, are pretty long shots. Uh, uh, but, you know, if you can win, if you can go to six straight bowl games at Wake Forest, you can do it at CU, man. So Dave Clawson would be another dream. But I don't think he's, you know, looking to leave there. He's been there eight years. But I, who knows? What do I know? You know, and then Lance Leopold at Kansas, they've been, you know, looking at him with Wisconsin and Nebraska because he's coached at both of those before. But I think that'd be another good big win for us but like you said don't know to to any extent i, I think claus and leapold are probably not long you know no hopers but yeah that'd be my top three okay i i would agree you hire Clawson uh for sure but yeah i don't think he's coming what was the the last guy you mentioned lance leopold at uh Kansas. oh yeah yeah i i, I think he's gonna get uh, a different gig probably yeah probably. Uh, those would be good hires. Rocco Mendenhall would sneak into my top three. And I agree with you of all the guys that don't have head coaching experience. Jeff Grimes is the one that stands out the most there. I remember the first time he talked with the media as the offensive line coach and assistant head coach at CU. You left that going, this guy's going to be a head coach someday. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten an opportunity yet. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. And, you know, I went down there and watched, I was down there for spring ball for Auburn back in, I don't know, whatever year it was, um, and watched him coach those guys. And then he's, he's a phenomenal coach. The other guy is Kirk Signetti for me, uh, James Madison's head coach. Now, obviously, they got to keep winning games this season, uh, but he's killed it at every level as a head coach, going from Division two to FCS, now competing in the Sun Belt. And he was the recruiting coordinator under Nick Saban in Alabama when Al, uh, Saban began his journey there leading the Crimson Tide program. He also spent a lot of time as an assistant coach and a recruiter at Pittsburgh and NC State as well. So he's got at least that power five experience. Yeah. The only thing with him would be that he's 61 years old. 
Yeah, I don't mind that so much. I guess I just wonder why he's still at the, at the lower level for so long. Um, well, he was an assistant for a long time. He finally got his first head coaching gig again at the Division II level. And so right. he's been working his way up there, but he didn't get a head start as a head coach. So he's been kind of be yeah. later in, in age in terms of starting that progression that some of these younger guys get now. I love Ryan Walters, but I, I just don't, I think that's too much of a risk. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think he's too new at this level and too new in coaching and doesn't have the, uh, I think we're all sort of snake bit by hiring our former CU people too. Yeah. Well, it, the, the part of that too, that sucks, William, is that when these guys come back and they don't succeed, it's like they're, anything positive they did, whether it's a, as a player or a prior stint as a coach is just completely yeah. erased. And yeah, it's unfortunate because, it, you know, I love CU fans, obviously, but CU fans do kind of eat their own, you know, right. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's one thing to like criticize a coaching job, but man, sometimes like they kind of like Lance call right now, I get like, he's attached to all this stuff. So you have to be really, really critical of him. Yeah. But man, like, just like, don't, don't go to a certain extent attacking these guys. And I feel like sometimes people cross the line a little bit and it sucks to see that even more so when it's a buff, you know? Right. Yeah. I think people feel very frustrated and helpless. And so they lash out. I don't know if Tom Herman is available. What would you think about him? I don't know. Um, I'm just, uh, I think, I don't know. Part of me says if you can't win big at Texas, you can't win big, but you know, I don't know. And he actually did right from our perspective, pretty darn well there. He looked pretty good in in that Alamo bowl in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you know, then again, the, no, the obvious question comes up if is okay, well, what's going to, what are you going to do when you don't have that talent? which he won't here. Can he attract it to Boulder? Who knows, you know? Um, but I think it'd be, I think it would be uh, perceived nationally as, as a big win for CU and maybe perception is more important than anything else right now. Uh, would it work out in the long run? I think he's, he's, he's a uh, um, question mark to me, you know, I don't, you know, would he view this as a stepping stone? Look, I don't give a damn. You get us through a bowl game, get things on the right path, and and leave when you're supposed to. You know, if you leave in December, God bless you. Well, yeah. You know. Yeah, just don't wait till February. Don't don't right? pull Mel Tucker. Yeah. Dan Mullen's a name that's been brought up a little bit. It sounds like he's really enjoying this stress-free life as a media guy. The question I would have with him is: Is there enough passion to because? Right. We talked about we think CU is more of an attractive job than a lot of people are, are making it out to be, but it's still a challenging, challenging gig. And so you're going to have to come in with that passion. The fact that he did as well as he did at Mississippi State for so long uh, tells me he's a pretty darn good coach. And, and Florida was actually not as brutal as yeah. maybe some people want to make it out to be when he was there. And he's still relatively young at 50. So, you know, yeah, not Gary, Gary Patterson would scare me a little bit just because he's long in the tooth. And again, yeah. you're going to need a lot of energy to rebuild this CU program. He's a great coach. I, I don't think that would be a bad hire necessarily, but uh, with some of these older guys, I, I wonder how much energy is left in the tank. Cause you're, you're going to need it coming into this kick. Yeah. And I can tell you at 58, the energy is less than it was eight years ago, <laughs> but there's a lot of other guys, Sean yeah. Lewis at Kent state, uh, Ricky Ronnie at old dominion, Troy Taylor at Sacramento state. Uh, some guys you could kind of want to, 
chart here in the next couple of months to see how their teams finish out. Uh, Marcus Arroyo was kind of an intriguing name, but I know UNLV just lost. Uh, that That's going to be a tougher sell, I think. Right. Uh, he hasn't quite had enough of a long track record. What about Justin Wilcox at Cal? Apparently turned down Oregon. There's Cal is cash strapped and he's been there to a point yeah. where he might want to jump ship and, and kind of start hit the reset button in another program. He's a pretty good coach, really good defense of mind. I wouldn't call that a home run hire, but uh, you could do a whole lot worse than, than Wilcox. Yeah. He might be solid, but I think, you know, I mean, he, he, you know, Cal seems to me in many ways comparable to CU in terms of the challenges. And so if he couldn't really be successful there right in California, where all those players come from, is he going to have more success here? seems like I, I would be skeptical of that. What are the odds the next head coach is a guy that we didn't just name? Probably at least 50%. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's usually how it works out. When I was, that's when I was, I was going to say a minute ago, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just guessing, speculating because we don't have no idea what's going through Rick George's head or even how they're going to do this. We didn't talk maybe enough about Bronco Mendenhall. Maybe we should talk about him. 135 and 81 as a head coach, coached uh, BYU, between BYU and his stint at Virginia. You know, in 14 seasons as a head coach, went to 11 bowl games. I don't know if he would knock it out of the park in the charisma standpoint, but he's not a dull personality either. No, I mean, you know, I don't know. He, I don't know. He doesn't excite me a, a lot. You know, he's not a great recruiter, um, not a bad recruiter, I guess. Um, and again, you know, not super high. Uh, he he did, doesn't hit that first box for me, the high energy, passionate. Um, just doesn't seem like the excitement that I would want to bring in to me, just my gut feeling. But a high a high floor there, right? I mean. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Pro- you know, I mean, probably. Probably would him, you know, and maybe this is maybe this is what we need. I don't know, you know. Probably you would expect to get six wins a year, pretty pretty soon, pretty quickly. Yeah. If not, AZ, right his, AZ history buff thirteen asked, any Hawkins level Durrell stories? So <laughs> I, I've shared a lot of Dan Hawkins stories from back in the day on here. To answer his question, not really. Yeah, we didn't really get to know Carl Durrell that well. And, and again, I will say the times that we were around him, he was respectful, uh, a good guy. But we weren't really around him all that much uh, enough to have good stories here. Well, and I, and I think also the the you know the good stories tend to come out of quirky, weird personalities, and. I, you know, I would argue that Carl Durrell really doesn't have a personality, so he's not the kind of guy who's going to do or say things that that are really memorable, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's, I can't even think of one story. Because yeah, he's just so bland. You know, there's just really nothing happened. Yeah. Good guy. I Yeah, I, I really have nothing against him. You know, some of these coaches, you go, thank God I don't have to deal with that person. It wasn't like that with Carl right. Durrell. But I will say, leaving Tuesday's press conference after we talked to Sanford and Patterson and Chapman, I had a smile on my face. That was a fun hour to be around those guys. And I never once in three years had that experience with Carl Durrell. Well, and, you know, the, 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 the Hawkins stories come out of the fact that he was so weird. I mean, he was just a weird dude, man. <laughs> and a very insecure person. Yeah. yeah Maybe he's sure. grown as a human being. You know, it's possible for people to to grow. Right. But right. when he was at CU, he was an asshole, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and that, that's where the good stories all come from. You know, I was like, can you believe that guy did that? Yeah. You know, Embry-Era provided us some, some, some good stories too, with just the yeah. infighting on that staff. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that one actually had more fun stories for me because I was kind of had an inside ear there and been, you know, <laughs> Goodness. Some, some of the, I mean, I, I've heard that should have, that should have been a reality TV show. That yeah. staff. Oh my it like, like almost, it, it makes me think of real housewives or something because, <laughs> yeah. because you know, I, I, I have multiple sources who have told me they heard, you know, pounding, banging on the walls, fights, going on inside the coaches offices <laughs> like dudes were yeah. getting thrown against the walls and stuff were getting knocked over i mean i've heard that from enough sources to believe it 100 true and that it was a fairly regular occurrence it was yeah it was at the height of that in the early in the 2012 season and there was a point early in that season with where rip share the quarterback's coach said i'm i'm out of here and the reason they talked him back into finishing out the season on staff is because they said, we're going to separate you and Eric Bienemy. We're going to put Bienemy down on, on the sidelines during the game days. And of course, the spin was that they're moving Bienemy down to the sidelines to create more passion on the sideline. But the, the fact was they were just they get him and Cher separated. Yeah. And uh, another person from that staff, J.D. Brookhart, was I think he was tight ends coach and a coach and court recruiting coordinator, maybe. But I would run into him at Colorado at high school games in Colorado and he would he would trash talk parents of players. And I was like, what the hell are you doing, man? You know, <laughs> I was like, never really understood quite that approach that that whole sort of, well, you know, we're CU. We, we, maybe we don't want you. OK, well. Good for you. I guess that's why you didn't get some of them. Not as many of those stories with Mike McIntyre's tenure. Of course, there's a whole offshoot of the Tumpkin saga, which is right, right. which is awful. But yeah. McIntyre was it was generally a pretty good guy. He he was you know had that corny dad joke sense of humor. I liked being around him. He, he's definitely made mistakes. He was a head yeah. coach at CU I, for six years. I think if you spend six years somewhere, you're probably going to have a few things that you're going to regret, like the time he chased the officials off after the Oregon State game. And but but generally, I, I liked him, and he did get a little closed off towards the end, which was kind of part of his downfall. I, I think I is. I guess his legacy will be the Buffalo in the storm. <laughs> <laughs> Never bring props to a press conference. Never yeah. a good idea. You're, you're not Ross Perot. You can't pull that off. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess that, that will always be my lasting. If you say, if you say his name, that's the picture to come to my mind is that picture. And Mel Tucker, maybe not a great human being, but he was, he brought a lot of fun in those 14 months. So I don't really have any right. hostility towards him. He's, He's getting enough uh, blowback already there after signing that extension at Michigan State. When you when you you get paid nine point five million dollars a year and you lose a couple games, there's going to be a lot yeah. of heat on you. It kind of comes with the territory. All right, let's move along here. Booyakasha asked, "When did you know they were moving on from Durrell? Seems the decision was made prior to the Arizona game." Yeah, I started to hear rumblings leading up to the Arizona game that. Uh, there was most likely going to be a change there. I think going into the UCLA and Arizona games, there was kind of a, a warning issued. You, you got to win now. And, and that's partly why we saw Owen McCown rushed into action there at quarterback. And, and the other part of that is that yeah. uh, quarterback play was pretty awful, but yeah, it was starting to kind of see the the writing on the wall there 
after the UCLA loss. And I had already kind of worked up a story about Darrell getting fired even before the Arizona game, just on the back end. So I'd have it ready to go and started looking at guys for a potential hot board. Uh, so, and then after the, the Arizona game, uh, shortly after that had kind of gotten word that th- this was, was happening on Sunday. Well, I think, you know, even after anybody would have pulse after the first three games had to see it was coming. I mean, my God, that, 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 those, they were brutal and they got worse each week, one after the other. And I think, you know, it would have required a, a miracle at that point, not to have it happen. And then, then it really was just a question of, do we do it now or do we wait until the end of the year? And I think, I think it became so bad. I, I think I, I would believe after th- the first three games are like, well, we're going to ride this out. And then after five, you're like, Oh my goodness, this cannot go on. Cause this is so yeah. bad. It's just not excusable. Yeah. It was so bad that I was telling people leading up to that Arizona game, the best thing for the future of CU football is for these kids to go out there and get blown out at Arizona. That's just because you need it to be that bad, to be able to make the change to then right. have any chance to, to start this rebuilding process, right. even though it's with an interim staff right now, but right. had they gone down to Arizona and won, I don't necessarily know what would have happened, but uh, I still think even had they won at Arizona, the right call would have been to make a change. Yeah. Giovanni Buff asked, do you know what the interviewing slash hiring process looked like when Rick George hired Durrell? Specifically, was it just an interview? Did they ask him to come in and do a mock coaching session? Did they get an opportunity to see how he interacts with players? I'm just wondering because it seems like solely interviewing candidates doesn't seem to be giving a very good glimpse into how these people coach. Do you know of any other schools who have hired coaches recently that did more than just an interview? I've honestly never heard of a mock coaching session. I don't know if I do that in other careers, whatever, but, you know, coaching is coaching. And if it's mock, it's not real, you know, and coaching is coaching is dynamic. And really, really how you find out about how good a coach is, is, you know, how they do on Tuesday and Wednesday and in the middle of August and whatever, you know, um, having somebody come, I, I think if you had somebody come in and do a mock coaching session, first of all, would it be with your real players? Is that legal? Or are you allowed to do that? And then secondly, you know, they would be putting their best face forward. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, the process has always been the interview is part of it, but then you're going to do all your homework and talk to people he's put, that have played for him, people that have coached with him. All these coaches know each other. Right. Um, and so, you know, if, if you're if you're looking at Grimes, for example, you know you you can you can find a hundred guys out there that have been on a coaching staff with the guy and tell you what they think. You you you've got a thousand players that played for him over the years that you can go talk to uh, administrators he's worked for. Um, you know if you really want to get serious about what kind of person he is, you can go talk to like weight room staff or janitors or whatever. But there's a lot that goes into figuring out who the guy is. Um, I think uh, it would I I I, I know that teams in the past have had guys come in and do like, you know, what we used to call chalk sessions. If anybody is old enough to remember what chalk was, um, but do X's and O's up on the board and talk about offensive and defensive philosophy and things like that. Certainly that would be part of it. Um, but I do think it's far more than just an interview. I, uh, I, I don't know what's exactly true about Darrell. It sort of sounds like they just picked him. Well, they, I, the Steve Sarkeesian thing had fallen through and 
it was to the point where I wouldn't say panic mode at that point, but it was getting close to that because they had spring ball coming around the corner. It was already so late in the process. And the way that Rick George tells the story in Lance Carl as well is they were brainstorming and Rick George brought up Carl Durrell and Lance said, yeah, why, why didn't I think of that? And they reached out to Carl Durrell. He was actually flying back to Colorado because he got a little break from his Miami Dolphins gig to come home, see his wife, hang out at his house in Lafayette. And they went to his house, sat down, had a long conversation. And I really think this had as much to do with trying to find stability following Mel Tucker's departure more than anything. I, I think they saw Darrell is this safe choice that was not going to screw them over the way they had just been screwed over. And I think it had more to do with that than anything. And I think a different type of circumstances, you're hiring a coach in December and the coach didn't just completely uh, make you mistrust people. They, they would have probably seen it a little bit differently, right? I mean, I guess I, I, I've always wondered to myself, you know, how does a guy who's a career position coach end up in the conversation in the first place, except that they know him? Well, they could go back to UCLA and he went to five bowl games, but you talk to people that covered those UCLA teams and they were loaded with talent. They did live up to expectations in one of those five seasons in his third year, but right. those other four years, you talk to people that covered that UCLA program, they massively under performed given the, the type of talent that was in that program back then. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know to, 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 to answer his question. I, I think every, every school aside from that particular very specific situation does more than just an interview. I don't know if we answered his question or not. Well, Mel Tucker was basically hired just based off an interview because he had never actually even seen CU's facilities when he took the job. He was touring CU before his intro press conference. So, but I think they did their homework in terms of talking to people that he'd worked with. Oh, yeah, for. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Golf Pro Buff asked, what's better for 24-7 business, coaching searches, or winning football? Not asking what you'd rather have. Genuinely curious if traffic and impressions are better one way or the other. Can I guess? Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing winning football by a large margin. In the short term coaching searches, but that doesn't last very long. Right. And so kind of take people behind the curtain is we've seen these massive spikes in terms of revenue during coaching searches, but what happened after Carl Durrell took the job and didn't have a lot of passion and energy. Right. And COVID didn't help with this, but it was a slow bleed. I mean, we hit, not record lows, but it was bordering on record lows with him as the head coach. Whereas Tucker, there was, you know, this surge during the coaching search, but the passion and energy, and he didn't even have really winning football. They went five and seven. That had an upward trend. So it's more about the fan base being engaged and certainly winning football would do that over a long period of time. Do you recall what was, what, what about like after 2016? That helps, but not quite as much of a surge as a coaching surge. Okay. So now had CU built on that in 2017, I think you would have kept 
because I remember there are a lot of bandwagon fans, right? In 16, right. all of a sudden Folsom Field is this raucous right. atmosphere. And it's a good atmosphere any Saturday. But that for the Utah game and the Washington State game, I mean, Folsom Field, that was a different energy in that. In, yeah, in that those, those, two, those, those two games were as fun a two CU games as I can remember since the 90s. Yeah. And and, so, and 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 they weren't blowouts. I mean, they were they were nail biters down to the last play, and they were just so much fun. Did I answer his question? So coaching searches for, yes. for the term do, but yeah, you, you need you need that backed up. Otherwise, people drop off pretty quick. Monstrous Joe asked, last we heard from you and Brian, there was a notable lack of energy. Do you think you will be able to pick up the energy level for this mailbag? Maybe it's time to resign and recommend a successor. Just kidding. If Sanford is successful at retaining the job, do you think he keeps the current staff? I'm the spark plug, baby. I'm the energy for this. <laughs> well, he's he's talking, I think, about Brian and I's analysis video after the press yeah. conference the Sunday they fired Darrell. After the Arizona game, I went back to my hotel. I worked till 2.30. I laid down for an hour. I had to get up, go to the airport, fly back, and I knew that Darrell was getting fired. So. By the time I got back home, I'm working, writing stuff up behind the scenes. The announcement comes down, hightailing down to Boulder for the press conference. I had slept one hour in two days, so I have an excuse for that lack of energy. <laughs> uh, so, well, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you know, but I think there was an excuse for you guys too. It's like I, I really appreciated your post game interviews after those last few games, you know, and and I think we all did. You guys calling it like. You know, because the last thing any of us want to see was, hey, you know what? This is not as bad as it looks. Not as bad as it oh, looks. Gosh. It it, it, appreci- it was, I think it was appreciated to have two respected journalists come on and say, it's as bad as it looks. It may be worse. Yeah. Well, beat writers always want the team to do well. It's the columnists that really don't have much of an invo- emotional investment, right? And it's not even that you know, Brian and I didn't go to see you, but we've both been doing it for so long and there's so many people that you get to know and build relationships with over the years. And these players, you interview them, you get to know them. I get to know them when they're 17, 18 years old and you want them to have success in, in to see what was happening the first five weeks of the season. It was really hard as much as we have to try to check our emotions at the door. It was just, hard on us to have to see what these kids and these people in the program were, were dealing with. Yeah, it is rough, you know, and like you said, there's a lot of people been in that program for 20, 30 years. I think Gene Onaga has been the secretary for the head coach for three decades, for God's sake. She was there when I was there, you know, and, and they're all, they all live and breathe for the team too. And you want to see them have success as well. Yeah. But the, I don't think anybody could have sugarcoated the last five weeks. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how. What, what would that sound like? How would you even go about trying to spin that? Well, because defense, got, like offensively, you could say they're young, but defensively, they're not. Right, and you got the future quarterback, maybe, hopefully, possibly. Uh, we, yeah, we pointed but, that out, but that only goes so far, and it's not like Owen right. McCown is winning Pac-12 Player of the Week honors either. Right. Yeah, there really wasn't anything left to look at. You know, hey, gee whiz, maybe the incoming class will fix it. Probably like you not. said. T- Trent Carrizoza, you know, just <laughs> begin and end the, the analysis video and his 45 yard punts. Yeah. 
Farhang asked, with all the talk regarding the transfer portal challenges CU faces, do you think if there is anyone within the program or anyone outside group actively lobbying for the change, the solution will apply for all students, so it needs to be well thought out. But to have an impact, it needs to be effective by the spring semester, right? Is there any hope? And then similarly, Buff Predictor asked, I just feel so discouraged after listening to Phil DeStefano, literally in a state of despair for not only the athletic department, but the university's mission to diversity and inclusion. Is there any word that Solomon's reaction, what his reaction was to that press conference? It seems like the simplest solution to address the transfer challenges would be to add integrated studies degree that CU Denver has. It appears to be close enough to a general studies major as you can find in the CU system. Is there any way to completely circumvent to Stefano? That seems like the way to go. And I, I, this is where I want to take us back to where we were a little bit earlier when we were talking about, you know, uh, transfers and NIL and all that kind of stuff. And, and I want to challenge the premise a little bit that CU football is doomed without changes, because I, I think I think people are overstating the case here, first of all. And I think somebody's got an NIL question and I want to address some of that in a minute. But um, <clears throat> first of all. Part of the reason why it looks so bad is because Durrell's recruiting is so bad. Okay. If you, if, if, and let me try to put this in some kind of an example of like, if you, if you, if, if let's say Durrell can reach out and he got 10 guys interested, right. Okay. Given his personality and two or three of them can't get in because of transfer regulations that hurts. Right. Well, if you got a coach, who got a hundred guys interested, you got a whole bigger pool of guys who can get in more guys that can't, you know, to be more guys that, that also get knocked out. But um, when you increase the size of the pool that you're recruiting from, which is a very small pool for Carl Durrell, um, you increase the number of guys and you're going to find more people who can make it in. I don't think, to me, the transfer stuff and the NIL is certainly an issue that needs to be dealt with in CU athletics. But um, to me, it's an excuse for bad coaches to be bad coaches and to blame it on the administration instead of the coaching. Well, yeah, if you look at Oregon State and Jonathan Smith as an example, he got players to buy in so they didn't necessarily have to rely on the transfer portal to fix issues right. because they were able to retain guys. And so it can be done at a CU with these challenges. The, the challenges are there. Basically, they right. can't recruit guys that are far into their second year or third year because they're going to have a hard time. Like I use the example after I'm not, I'm not denying that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. It is a challenge, but you need to be able to overcome it and you can overcome it and have success at CU. Right. Uh, but I will use the example of RJ Snead goes down in the spring game. The initial timeline is he's not coming back till October. So they're looking for receivers in the transfer portal. They find 11 targets. And only four of them would have been able to transfer to CU. But because once these kids hit the portal, they're getting reached out to almost immediately. You have to start recruiting them right away. So they start recruiting 11 receivers. And then you have to just stop recruiting seven of them after you've put in. See, time is a resource. And so they're having to dedicate time as a resource in a lot of these kids and then just having to just stop recruiting them. So it is a challenge in something that long-term you would like to get fixed. Farhang asked, you know, this has to be in effect by the spring semester. I mean, that's, that's not happening. Right. And, or, or what, 
we closed down a CU football program. I mean, you know, there's short term and there's long term, and it's not going to happen short term. So we got to work on it for the long term, and then we just work with what we got. Yeah. I will say that Todd Solomon is aware of these issues. I <laughs> think he's getting a lot of emails from fans right now uh, that he knows about these issues. From what I've heard, how he kind of handled things with this whole Durrell situation, it's kind of promising with Solomon as a president. It sounds like he actually is willing to step up and put his foot down in certain circumstances and is going to be pro football. Now, can he fix all of these issues? I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, and I was going to ask you, do you know how it works? What's the, you know, like, can the president just say, okay, I command this and here we go. Or does it have to come from somewhere else or what? More complicated than him just maybe waving a magic wand and then it's fixed. So, yeah. But he's he's the president of the university, so he can make things happen. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's going to take work for him to do that. With the integrated studies degree, I don't know enough about that at CU Denver. I, frankly, I'm not paid enough money to fix all of CU's problems. <laughs> uh, I can point out where there are challenges, and I've tried to do that. And yes, the transfer portal thing is a problem because you're asked to compete with these teams on the football field, and yet you have these transfer portal issues that these teams you're playing on the field don't have. And so that that is a problem. But CU football can still win six, seven games with right. these challenges in place. And, yeah. And then once you get to six or seven, then you have a whole bigger pool of people to look at, you know. Yeah. That's where the, the challenges, I think, really yeah. are more about having elite success, sustained success. Right. And they're not anywhere near that right now. It's a lot easier to get the six and seven wins than people think. And I think it's frustrating to us because, you know, for what was it, three, four years, though, five, five wins, five wins, five wins. And people think mm-hmm. that that sixth win is somehow magical. And it really isn't. What was their record with bowl eligibility on the line? It was it was getting oh, comical. Yeah, I, I think Pico had something about that. That's like they won, lost, I don't know, some incredible number of games consecutive. It was, it was more than 10. Because they yeah. lost seven in a row at the yeah. end of 2018. Mad, maddening. Being 306 asked, how do you see this affecting recruiting? Do you expect us to lose commits or have an influx to the portal? Or could this actually help recruiting? I'm only talking for this current recruiting cycle. Well, I think it's hard to say. I mean, I think I can't. I can, if, look, if we we're going to go 0-12, who was going to sign with us? Would it did you know? Would a coach that got fired at the end of the season of zero and twelve? It has to be better, right? Yeah. And I, I think if you hire the right guy, it, it fixes right. the influx of the portal because I, I think there was right. going to be another, maybe not quite as much of a mass exodus as we saw last year, but right. It's it's not fun to lose football games the way they have, and right. kids that had options to go to another Power Five program would have probably taken that option. I, I do think. It generally probably helps even with this current recruiting cycle, assuming you get the right guy. And I think it goes back to what you said about being at that practice and how excited those kids were and how like, oh, my God. (laughs) And I hope this doesn't sound stupid, but it it makes me think of the the Wizard of Oz, you know, and and all the munchkins are so happy because the Wicked Witch is dead and got smashed by the house. Well, she's gone. You just you just did Carl Durrell dirty right there. I'm just comparing him to the wicked witch. That's not fair. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's like, uh, uh, oh, now I feel bad. 
not, not, now I'm a bad person. I need to go in the penalty <laughs> box and feel shame for 15 minutes. Um, but, but I'm just talking, you know, I'm, I'm ex- just thinking about what, how you explain that practice and how excited. And like, I think you said it was something like a birthday party or something or, um, yeah, no parents, parents going out of town. You parents going a party. Out of town. Right. Oh, so that's better. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I guess we fully answered his question. Didn't we? Yeah. I, you know, I think they, they beat out some power five programs for some of these commits, but a lot of them don't really have a better option. So they're going right. to wait and see. Right. Right. And I, and I think, like you said, you know, doing it now is better than doing it later and having, you know, more, ugliness and who knows let's see what happens in the next few weeks you know and maybe we can sneak a win here and there we're not the laughing stock and and then we get somebody hired who can jump on and get rolling you know moving along cl34 asked why was sam neuer run off the team did Darrell really believe that lewis and trout would be better cl buff and i don't mean this as a criticism that's definitely the most random question for this mailbag sam neuer working his way in here <laughs> yeah he wasn't run off the team they wanted him on the team but it looked like they were going to go with more of a youth movement at that position because Neuer was running out of eligibility and you wanted to kind of move to the future at that position. That's hindsight being 2020. No one could have expected Brennan Lewis and Shroud, more specifically Lewis, to have struggled as much as they, they have. Or Shroud get hurt. And I also think this goes to the next question coming up is that, you know, so if he's not going to be the starter, do you want to stay here and play for this coach? And doesn't seem like he did. Yeah, Neuer would have stuck around had he known how things were going to play out and that Brendan Lewis was going to struggle as much as he did. Davis Buff asked, have you heard anything more about the starters that transferred out last year? Did the majority of the starters leave for NIL deals or did the majority of starters leave to play for a different coaching staff? There was one guy that, left primarily because of nil but the majority of players did not leave for that reason i I think what happens is you know i don't think guys are sitting around and they're thinking all of a sudden certainly not at cu probably but all of a sudden hey i'm going to get a five-figure offer if i transfer uh human nature to me and the way kids minds work is is they're going along from day to day you know and for whatever reason they decide i don't like it here i don't fit here i don't want to play for this coach Maybe my position coach leaving. Uh, I'm not getting treated fairly, maybe. Um, any number of reasons. But uh, it was pretty clear, I think, to me, and has become more so since then, that all those guys left for reasons not related to NIL, that that they made up their mind to leave, and then NIL became a factor for some of them afterwards. In terms it's worked out pretty well for those guys, right? I mean, Mark Perry is having a resurgence. Makai Blackman playing excellent football. I guess Brandon, Brandon Rice would be the one you could kind of debate. Yeah. Um, but he'll still have next year, I think, with Addison. isn't he, He's a junior, right? So he'll be moving on. So he'll probably get more of a role at USC next year. Isn't everybody on the planet a junior right now? <laughs> Roussard, it hasn't necessarily worked out in terms of on-the-field success. I, I think the, the pot was pretty sweet for him to move over to Michigan State from an NIL standpoint. Yeah. Who am I – blanking on that oh christian gonzalez has done right. well at oregon so it's worked out well for him right and i think you know you know for the defensive backs i think you know the defensive back cornerback coach left and that's probably part of it and you know look if you're an offensive player and a receiver why the hell do you want to be in this offense yeah chance Lytle is even starting at duke right and they're 
Yeah, yes. well, I think he's a guy that could have started here, but you know, again, as an offensive lineman, do you want to be in this offense? And you know, his experience playing for uh, Cage and Mitch, <laughs> you know, can't blame a guy for moving on from that. But I got I, a couple. I, I just, you know, to, to I, I think NIL is an issue again. Not denying that it is, but I don't think it's as big an issue as people think, particularly with the level of players that we have on this team. You know, we don't have a four and five star guys that they're going to come throwing bags of money around at for the most part. Um, and at some level, you've always had to, you know, before you couldn't really, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't really just transfer willy nilly and do what you want. But you always, as a coach, have to continually re-recruit your team. You have to keep them on board. I, I, I'll go all the way back to um, 1983. And my first year at CU and being out there on the field, and, um, uh, Coach Ron Vanderland was a defensive line coach. And I can't remember the kid's name, but he was a highly recruited defensive lineman. And walking off the field one day after practice, he's whining to Vanderland about this, that, and the other thing. And I'm not playing. And gosh, you know, you said all these things during recruiting. You're all nice to me during recruiting. And Vanderland said, look, that was recruiting. This is reality. You play football now. And I play you based on how you participate, you know. But then he had a nice long talk with him. And kind of kept him on board and talked him down. That's got to be part of your job as a college football coach is working with those young guys and tempering their expectations and working with them to grow up and to keep them on board wanting to play for you. It's an art form being yeah. able to get the kids to love you, but also coach them hard and push them. And, and that's why it is such a hard gig and why these guys make as much money as they do, because it's not easy to do. Yeah. I had, a, I had one of my kids, who I coached, who went on to, he was playing um, at University of Virginia on scholarship and came out to see me one summer and uh, saw out here in Colorado. And, he, and uh, one of the other coaches I coached with said, well, you're too hard on those kids. And, and so Michael was out there and I took him aside. And I said, what do you think of that? He's like, no, no, man, coach, if you, if you weren't yelling at us, we worried that you were mad at us or you didn't love us still. Yeah. <laughs> and, so you have to love them and beat on them, you know, and they know that you're doing it to make them better players, not just because you're a jerk. Yeah. Maybe I got a couple. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I was, that, that was great though. The wizard of Oz comparison, <laughs> maybe my favorite moments in the, in the podcast as mean as it was. Got a couple basketball questions as well. I'm going to do a basketball season preview podcast, so I'll open it up for basketball-related questions in advance of that. It's a bye week. I need to find some time to get some other stuff done around the house here. But, William, it was great catching up with you. I enjoy your insights. I don't know what your – I know your schedule is busy coming up, but let's try to get you on the show here before the end of the season and kind of yeah, pick your brain, get some better, thoughts right? in terms of how this this interim crew is, is doing out there and – I'm looking forward to the Cal game. I'm going to set my expectations really low, but right. I do think that the energy and charisma is going to at least have them playing harder out there, better which should translate to a better product to watch. And, I don't know. And I hope that they, I hope that the letting you guys into practice last week is a forerunner of more to come, which is more openness because you know what, the more you let us all see, the more we're going to be on board with you. Yeah, totally. Great stuff, William. Thanks for joining me. Take care and best of luck with everything. And again, hopefully we can uh, chat soon. Sound good? Thank you very much. All right. And thanks to all of you diehard CU fans at this point. <laughs> Everybody deserves a lot of credit for staying on the board as a CU fan. Thanks for tuning into this podcast.